Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Dr. Joel Furman, is a board-certified family physician, New York Times best-selling author, and nutritional researcher who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods. Dr. Furman is an internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural medicine, and he's had multiple successful PBS television series highlighting his work. He's the author of five best-selling books, including Eat to Live, The End of Diabetes, and Super Immunity. And he's here today to talk about his latest book, The End of Heart Disease, The Eat to Live Plan to Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Joel Furman. Hi, good morning. Great to be here. Good morning. So at the opening of, of The End of Heart Disease, you, you talk about how heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States. 600,000 Americans die of heart disease each year, and that the majority of these people have no, uh, have no warning signs. They have sudden cardiac death. Um, but you suggest that really, even despite these statistics, that this is primarily a diet-related set of diseases that can be prevented and also reversed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. I'm making this it seems like an incredible, aggressive, or radical statement that people simply don't have to have heart attacks and strokes, and they can make the choice right now never to have that happen to them. And it seems almost crazy to, to think that the leading cause of death in America can be almost wiped out, but that's what the evidence shows. It's not a radical statement. For example, the Catawba study, I followed an island of people of 23,000 people for years and followed off the coast of Papua New Guinea who were eating a more natural diet, finding that no heart attacks, no strokes, no elderly people with high blood pressure, no history in their ancestry of anyone having heart disease or heart attacks. And even the nurses' health study in Boston found that the women who were eating more vegetables, normal body weight, did not smoke, had 93% lower cardiovascular death rate than, than the average American. And the study I just published in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine, October 2015, showed that of 443 people, we, the, the nutritarian diet dropped their blood pressure an average of 26 points systolic, lowered blood pressure 33%, you know, weight 50 pounds of weight loss of 75 obese people maintained for three years or more. In other words, what I'm saying here is that nutritional science has made the advances with proven approaches to show that heart disease is best treated, can be reversed, and we can protect our future against these cardiovascular events through nutritional excellence. So one of the interesting things you say about the situation before we talk more about the, the potential solution is that even though half of all Americans die of heart attacks and stroke, that doesn't mean that the other half don't have cardiovascular disease. In fact, you suggest that the other half that probably most of them also have cardiovascular disease have plaque deposition in their arteries and high blood pressure, but they're just happening to die, die of something else instead of heart disease at that time. Is that right? That's, exa that's exactly correct. The other, even though I'm saying heart disease is a totally preventable condition, I'm also saying that if you eat like other Americans eat, you're inevitably going to develop heart disease and you can't escape from it. In other words, those of you were just saying that those Americans that die of pneumonia, that die of cancers, that die of other problems, accidents, they have heart disease too. It's just something else just happened to kill them first. And we know that's relevant because... Nine, uh, more than 85% of Americans over the age of 65 are taking medications for their heart, high blood pressure, or high cholesterol, or heart disease. In other words, 
It's even people saying, oh, I'm not salt responsive. I can eat salt because my blood pressure is good. Well, eventually those people develop heart disease and develop high blood pressure, and they eventually have to put on medication. So just because your blood pressure is good now doesn't mean if you, don't, if you continue to eat that way, continue to leave that way, live that way, you're going to eventually develop the problems that, that plague everybody else as well. So in other words, um, we can't eat like other Americans eat. It's just foolish. It causes cancer. It causes heart disease. And if you eat like other Americans do, then you're just not informed or making irrational decisions. So let's talk about the way most Americans eat. You, you say the standard American diet is literally heartbreaking. So tell us, tell us what are the most egregious aspects of the standard American diet, the first things you would think of that would need to be removed or, or radically minimized? Well, we can just for people listening can imagine a pie graph in their head right now, and we'll divide the pie into three segments processed foods, which are things that are boxes and cans, I mean boxes and bags, and, you know, fast food or bread, pasta, salad, oil, mayonnaise, donuts, cookies, crackers, rice cakes, breakfast bars, chips, soda, candy bars. I mean, in other words, that's 53% of the American diet is processed foods, largely made of sugar, white flour, and oil. And then Americans eat about 32% of calories from animal products and mixing everything there together, fish, chicken, dairy, meat, that's 33%. And then about 10% is, is produce, that fruits and vegetables, beans, nuts. But in the produce section, half of the produce is, is white potato and ketchup, mostly consumed in the form of French fries. And that the USDA analyzes that as considered, and food consumption data considers that produce. You take out the white potato and ketchup, and you have about 5% of the American diet comes from fruits and vegetables and beans and nuts and mushrooms and onions and all those natural plants that protect against heart attacks and cancer is just a very small segment of the American diet. And what I'm saying is, yes, there are certain foods that are very dangerous, like sugar and trans fats, that accelerates heart disease. Um, of course, we know there are certain, you've got to be crazy to eat sweeteners like honey and maple syrup and sugar and, you know, and all these things. But, but on the other hand, the most critical factors determining your fate, whether you live or die, is what you're not eating. You follow me? The foods that we need to eat that Americans don't eat that really protect our heart, lower cholesterol, but stabilize the heart rhythm, stabilize the nervous system, protect the brain from aging. It's these, you know, we're finding more and more evidence that the foods that humans are destined to need, we need for normal function, green vegetables, um, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, seeds, nuts, you know, um, we, we need these foods to maximize the function of our body. And if we just live like other Americans, even white meat, chicken, and pasta, you know, and olive oil, you're still not getting those foods into your diet. That's really going to protect you against death because your diet is narrowly focused on just, you know, lowering, let's say, being low in fat not sufficient. You got to eat the right kind of fats, the right kind of foods, the right kind of phytochemicals, the right kind of antioxidants. In other words, we're talking about that LDL cholesterol is not the greatest determinant of risk because it's oxidized LDL that really is the bad guy. And when you eat all these phytochemicals and antioxidants and the right type of foods, then oxidized LDL almost doesn't even exist. 
because you have so much because your body isn't building up, you know, these noxious free radicals and and glycation end products that cause that too, that cause cholesterol buildup and plaque to occur. We're talking today with Dr. Joel Furman, the author of The End of Heart Disease, The Eat to Live Plan to Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. Dr. Furman, in your title, you, you talk about how this is not just a plan to prevent, but also a plan to potentially reverse heart disease. And I'm sure we have listeners with high cholesterol uh, who are on medications or who have re, uh, recalcitrant high blood pressure that they can't seem to get down. What evidence do we actually have that this program or programs like it can actually uh, turn back the clock regarding stuff that's already happened for heart disease? Right, and I appreciate that question. That's the exciting part because I'm also suggesting that a diet that's designed to be maximally cardiac favorable, let's say, or preventative, is also therapeutically more effective than medication. And that the, that the vast majority of people undergoing this program get all, eventually don't need medications for high blood pressure and cholesterol lowering anymore. And I, I gave the example in the first, well, not only my study, obviously, there's other doctors that have, and I re- reviewed all those other diet styles proven to, to show prevention and reversal of heart disease. I reviewed the pros and cons in the book, which I think is a very, um, how should I say, um, scientifically balanced and review of that, of that um, science itself. And then through the nutritarian diet, I gave the data showing that um, the majority of patients with diabetes, 90% of them become non-diabetic and they can stop, they can be slowly taken off their medications. And the majority of people on high blood pressure medications can be come off their blood pressure medications, and it's so important because, you know, let's. I want you to understand this concept. I'm, if I'm making this radical claim and saying people don't have to have a heart attack or a stroke, I'm only making that claim based on people earning it, and that means they have to earn a normal blood pressure and a normal cholesterol and normal blood glucose or normal body weight without medication. If they're requiring medication to still control their blood pressure and cholesterol and take diabetic medication called their blood sugar, then they're not. They're still at risk. And they're not going to have that guarantee not to have a heart attack or a stroke. As a matter of fact, a person's risk of heart attack and stroke can somewhat be measured by the dosages and number of medications they're requiring to control their risk factors. The more medications they're requiring, the higher risk they have, and of course, the higher risk they have of a heart attack or a stroke and sudden cardiac death. And as they, over over time, as they improve their health, normalize their body weight, improve their exercise tolerance, and help restore the elasticity to their blood vessels and remove plaque, and, and, you know, in, in the interior wall of the blood vessels, their, their blood pressure goes down, their um, cholesterol goes down, everything normalizes, and they don't need medications anymore. So there could have, you know, there could be some unusual, you know, advanced patients, like you're referring to, more elderly and requiring three and four medications that aren't going to be able to stop all the medications, or maybe eventually they would, but maybe not. But nevertheless... If they, they would be able to use less medication, and even if it didn't get them totally off all medications because of their later age or more advanced disease, they'll still be so much safer and have their lifespan extended and it would be at lower risk than getting that same blood pressure number with medication use. Do you follow me? I, like in uh, other words, if we have a favorable blood pressure achieved without medication, it's more protective than the same blood pressure achieved with medication. Right. No, that makes sense. And uh, for people who are listening who are, are, are skeptical, who feel like this is too good to be true, how much time would someone need to be on your plan, which you call the nutritarian diet? Um, how long would they need to be on it before they would generally expect to see uh, objective parameters, say blood pressure or cholesterol, change in a tangible way, on average? About a week. 
Um, like, for example, I just did a, uh, you know, our studies show, well, there's one study published in the medical journal Metabolism on 2002 by, uh, by Dr. David Jenkins in Toronto that showed that people on a vegetarian diet dropped their LDL cholesterol 33% in six weeks' time, right? And my study I published in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine showed that people dropped their cholesterol about that same amount, and we measured them as six months and years later. But here's the thing. Is I do these immersion programs all the time. I just did one last week where Whole Foods Market sent me 100 of their overweight, sickly employees with high cholesterol and high blood pressure to train them in this program. And we took their blood tests at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week, and, the, and we see most of them cutting their blood pressure medications in half, many coming off the blood pressure medications, and dramatic lowering of cholesterol and blood sugar, by the way, just in one week's time. You know, I don't want to make that claim. It sounds so ridiculous, but it's amazing how in, in most of these cases, we, not everybody improves that fast, but we, you said when do you see significant changes? Even one week is significant. And the reason it's why it's important to know that is because it, it speaks to a danger or risk of the program I'm recommending. Because let's say a person with high blood pressure and diabetes starts this program, and they don't go to their doctor, they don't inform their doctor that they're doing this, and then they become over-medicated even in a few days or a week because their blood pressure could drop too low on the medications they didn't have cut back, or their blood sugar could have, cut, could have dropped too low and they could fall down or pass out or something. So, in other words, what I'm saying right now, I'm suggesting that your question, um, you know, if you get a, a, a warning that says that the program is so effective that you have to be in contact with your local physician to moderate or start to lower the dose of medications you're requiring because the program is so immediately effective at dropping your blood sugar and your blood, and your blood pressure. And then you also mentioned that in your study around your diet that you, you see an, a drop of 26 points in systolic blood pressure over the course of a year. How does that stack up against uh, other interventions? Like, say, uh, has it ever been compared... In, in comparison to, say, taking lisinopril or other uh, blood pressure-lowering medications? Yes, exactly. And, that's, and by, by the way, the 26 points of blood pressure lowering on the average of these 443 people was still there when people discontinued it, when people cut off the medication. In other words, we're talking about people received an average of blood pressure of 26 points lowering of the systolic blood pressure while the majority had the medications discontinued. That's incredible. That means the blood pressure was dropping as the medications were being cut down. So the point I'm making here now is that, um, yes, um, your blood pressure will drop significantly. The DASH diet, in comparison, doesn't lower blood pressure about five points. The low-sodium DASH diet lowers blood pressure about 10 points, not 26 points. Which is so flaxseed taking two tablespoons a day was shown to was shown to drop blood pressure around ten to fifteen points as well. But here we're talking about twenty six points and medications. One dose of a of a medication drops medications about ten points. You would have to, to combine medication or go to the highest dose possible to lower it close to twenty points. So we're talking here about changes that are more significant than medication, and that it that that if you're on multiple medications, it may be even more powerful than those people requiring two or three medications. And with time, you know, obviously, we're saying here in a short period of time, you know, less than a year, it drops 26 points, but people on multiple medication may take longer than that to normalize the medications. They drop all blood pressure medications, and some of those people were still on medications after a year, may have been able to come off them if they were on this two or three years. You follow me? 
I, I do. We're talking today to Dr. Joel Furman about his book, The End of Heart Disease, The Eat to Live Plan to Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. Dr. Furman, uh, you had mentioned that people who are controlling their blood pressure or their blood sugar or their cholesterol with medications, but who aren't addressing their diet, the, the potential cause of these elevated numbers in the first place, that they also aren't entirely addressing their risk. So tell us a little bit more about what the risks are of just managing these conditions purely using medicines and not also looking at nutrition and lifestyle. Right. Well, that's certainly a loaded question, you know, a lot to answer. But, you know, it's a very important. I mean, that's so critical because, you know, I think that this book, The End of Heart Disease, it's exactly what the book does. It gives people comprehensive informed consent. And that's kind of a big word or a big term, but it means that you go to a doctor with high blood pressure and he puts you on a medication, gives you a prescription, and he didn't really tell you the risks of the medication and he didn't really tell you that they're relatively ineffective, that they may increase the risk of cancer, that they may even, if you overuse, can increase risk of having a sudden cardiac death. And he didn't tell you how comparatively effective or comparatively ineffective they are compared to changing your diet. And I know my, my point here is that millions and millions of more people would change to eat much healthier if they knew how little medications work and how risky they were in really... Um, you know, in actually causing more problems than they are sought out to solve. And let's just review one or two of them just briefly. Number one, I mean, are people aware who take common medications for blood pressure, like calcium channel blockers, that, for example, women who are on them 10 years or more had double the risk of breast cancer? Double the risk. I mean, that's incredibly risky to be on taking drugs that cause cancer without even being informed about it. You know, um, that, and, and, and when there's more effective ways to lower your blood pressure with eating right, and the person's never given that option. And, you know, and if you're getting older and your blood pressure is getting higher and the doctor's getting more medication, you know, your blood vessels are getting stiffer, and the medications don't prevent the loss of elasticity like diet does. As a matter of fact, if the doctor starts prescribing medications to push your increasing systolic blood pressure down further because it's raising on blood pressure medications, then what happens is is it very often lowers diastolic too low. And as the blood vessel stiffens, when diastolic gets too low, you can't get the blood flowing back to the heart fast enough and to the lungs fast enough to be refilled with oxygen. Let me just explain this for a minute because most people don't realize that the coronary blood vessels, the coronary arteries, are the vessels that bring oxygen and nutrients to the heart muscle itself. And they are the only blood vessels in the body that get filled up during diastole, not during systole. In other words, when the heart is relaxing and refilling, that's when the coronary arteries are bringing oxygen to the heart, and that's when the lungs are getting oxygen to fill those, to fill, to, re, to reoxygenate your blood. So during the systole is when the heart pumps and the vessels expand, and diastole is when the heart relaxes and the vessels and the blood pressure goes down. And what happens when you take medication is it pushes that second number too low because as your muscles are stiffening, they're not going out with systole and they're not recalling and recoiling and contracting inward enough during diastole. They're not moving out and in enough. And the blood pressure starts to drop low during diastole and, that, and, the, vessel, and the two numbers are widening, getting further apart. That's a sign of increasing risk of heart attack of heart attacks because the stiffening of the blood vessels preventing the elasticity of that wall of the arteries. And then the medications, 
push the diastole further down or you know, a little bit lower, and there's not enough pressure to bring that blood back to the heart and lungs fast enough, and you've increased this person's risk of a heart attack or sudden cardiac death or cardiac arrhythmia. And we see this all the time. We see atrial fibrillation. We see irregular heartbeats. We see sudden cardiac death. One study in elderly people showed that blood pressures that were medicated below 70 tripled the risk of sudden cardiac death and heart attacks, and blood pressures that were medicated below 80 doubled the risk of, of death in these elderly people who were requiring multiple medications. Yeah. So, uh, so the point I'm making is that People on the medications don't recognize, and even the doctors don't often recognize how careful they have to be, and they didn't, and, and the point is that the only way you can lower systolic blood pressure without pushing diastolic too low, and the only way you can restore these elasticity back to the blood vessels is with changing what people are eating. And they would, maybe more people would do this if they knew how critically effective it was and how it's the only option that really has no risks. Well, let's talk about that now. At the beginning of the program, you painted the pie chart of the standard American diet, which was 55% processed food, pastas, breads, cereals, sodas, 30% animal products. And then maybe out of the total pie, I think you said maybe 5% was was legitimately fruits and vegetables. So what yeah. would the pie chart look like in the nutritarian diet? Well, that's another great question. Your so the pie, I do have actually a nutritarian pie chart, by the way, and you know, when the government changed from a pyramid to a pie, I figured, well, I'll make a pie that's correspond with theirs so people can easily recognize that pie and, you know, to see what it is. And, of course, we want people to eat a diet that's not grain-based but vegetable-based. We want, um, you know, a good portion of their diet, 40 to 60% to be from vegetables. A good part of it should be from beans and a good part from nuts and seeds and fresh fruit and whole intact grains. So we're, and then, then the animal product portion, we have less than 10% of total calories, now 33%. In other words, animal products have to be restricted to the general population to about a third or less of what people's eating now. And I'm suggesting that if you already have advanced heart disease, perhaps you should cut that back to 5% or less. But the point is, is that it's, basic, it's mainly the 54% of calories from processed foods that we want to dramatically cut down so we have room to increase all the, the, pro, the different types of produce that we need to protect your heart. So it has to do with, you know, and of course, you know, as you may know, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, so, I, you know, we have not just myself and my vast experience, but nutritarian chefs all over the country you know, having show people how we can make this protective diet stuff that protects against heart attacks and cancers and strokes and dementia to make it taste great, to make it enjoyable, to make it delicious. We're saying here a diet that's vegetable-based. We, I, in the scientific literature, we call it nutrient-dense and plant-rich, NDPR. You know, so it's nutrient-dense, so it's largely plant. Animal products are a much smaller component of the diet and that processed foods as much as possible should be eliminated. And if, if one of the big focuses is switching from mostly grains to mostly vegetables, are there within the vegetable world ones that are particularly good and ones that you would tend to de-emphasize? Absolutely. Well, um, one thing we want, we want people to know is that green vegetables have therapeutic benefits to lower blood pressure and reverse atherosclerosis. In other words, I, I, I have a mantra I tell people to listening to me, I say, get a, you know, an index card out and a, and a nice pen or a magic marker and write on the index card, the salad is the main dish, and put it right on your refrigerator. The salad is the main dish. The, the rule here is that once a day, everybody should be eating a large salad 
at least once a day as the main part of their meal. And that salad should have beans on top. It should have tomatoes, and it should have some cruciferous green vegetables like cabbage or kale or bok choy or watercress or arugula right in the salad because those raw cruciferous vegetables contain a, a phytochemical called ITCs. And the ITC stands for its isothiocyanides. So these ITCs have dramatic protection effects to help prevent plaque from sticking to the walls of blood vessels and to help resolve and remove plaque and restore vascular elasticity. The second thing that people can do, the most besides cutting out salt to lower their blood pressure, is switch the major source of fat in their diet from animal fats and oils any kind of oil, olive oil, coconut oil, flax oil, you know, almond oil, but walnut oil, any kind of oil, to switch that the whole food instead, the flaxseed, the walnut, the almond, the coconut, the apple. And in other words, eat whole food. So I'll make salad dressings, for example, for this large salad by mixing an orange with some cashews and toasted sesame seeds or some low-salted tomato sauce with some almonds and sunflower seeds and fig vinegar or balsamic vinegar and a few raisins and a garlic and whip that up in there. So we're making these gourmet salad dressings out of nuts and seeds instead of just pouring oil on your salad, and that has a magnificent effect to drop blood pressure and to lower cholesterol. So we're talking here about a change in thinking in the way you think about food and a strategy to actually make the recipes taste gourmet, whether it's desserts or salads or soups or main dishes, how to use these principles to make foods taste really incredible that people can enjoy. Well, tell, tell us a little more about why you de-emphasize olive oil and also why walnuts would be good, but walnut oil would not be so good uh, when, when figuring out how to do a salad dressing for, for the salad that you're proposing. Thank you. That's, that's a good question. And of course, we, we're explaining to people that when you take an oil into the bloodstream, into the body, it gets absorbed instantaneously and very effectively. In other words, every tablespoon of oil has 120 calories in it, and all of those 120 calories, 100% comes into the body, and it rushes in in three to five minutes. And the body has to generate, has to store that. It can't burn it for fat. It has to store it. It stores it as fat. So we're saying three to five minutes, right from your lips to your hips. Once it's on fat, it doesn't come off until the end of the catabolic phase. In other words, we have to burn glycogen favorably over fat stores so it doesn't come off as easily. When we eat the fat from a walnut instead of walnut oil or the olive instead of the olive oil or the almond instead of the almond oil, then the fat is bound to fibers called sterols and stanols, and it's absorbed over a period of three to four hours, not three to four minutes. And because it's coming into the bloodstream so slowly, it's preferentially burned for energy. And because you're taking it in with the fibers present in the nuts and seeds, which add as a fat sponge, they don't allow all the fats to be taken into the bloodstream. About a, a large percentage of those fats go into the toilet bowl, increasing stool fat. So all their calories are not biologically available, lessening your overall caloric exposure. Furthermore, and interestingly, the, the, these binding fibers, these binding sterols and nuts and seeds suck out bad fats out of the body. In other words, there's a circulation that goes of fat from the digestive tract into the bloodstream and from the bloodstream back into the digestive tract. It flows both ways. And in that process, these sterols and stanols in these fibers in nuts and seeds, when you eat the whole nut or seed, they suck out saturated fat and LDL cholesterol from the, from the bloodstream and pull it out into your toilet bowl, into the stool, lowering your cholesterol about 3, three to 4% further. 
so the, there's lots of biological mechanisms, which we're touching on now, including the, all the phytochemicals in the nuts and seeds and their favorable effect in increasingly absorption of beneficial nutrients in the other foods that you eat them with. So, that, so there's a tremendous amount of benefit from eating nuts and seeds as opposed to the oil from those nuts and seeds. So I kind of like joke around in my lectures on, on television. I like hold up a big bottle of oil and I say, I'm going to hold up the food and you tell me whether it makes you fat or makes you thin. And I hold up sesame seeds and the audience yells up thin. And I hold up sesame oil and they yell up fat. And they hold up walnuts and they play thin. And they hold up walnut oil and they say fat. And they hold up motor oil. I go, ah. Hardly ever eat this stuff. <laughs> I was just making a joke about it. But the point is, we want to recognize, in general speaking, we want to eat the whole carrot, not the sh- or the whole beet, not the sugar from the beet. We want to eat the whole... Once we process foods and extract different portions of it, we don't get its total health benefit anymore. We've kind of made it into a processed food, and people should recognize that oil is a processed food that doesn't grow on trees and doesn't give us the whole benefit of the foods that were originated from. We're talking today to Dr. Joel Furman about his latest book, The End of Heart Disease. Dr. Furman, if I were to try to put your your, your nutritarian program into a, a general context of various types of diet, it seems like it does share a lot in common or at least an affinity with Dr. Ornish's uh, approach, uh, maybe a little bit higher fat than Dr. Ornish's approach. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on some of the research that's come out lately that has shown the very opposite approach, the Atkins low-carbohydrate, high-protein diet, showing some benefits on, on lipid profiles, on cholesterol, and then this reevaluation that's happened at least in the, in the public sphere around saturated fats. What, what are your thoughts on both of those things? Well, thanks for, for answering those. Now, obviously, it's important people understand this because I'm really making a very strong case here that the public has thoroughly been confused and misinformed and, and put in a dangerous direction. And I think it's really critical people are, are informed about this. So we could start out with a few different things to talk about here. Number one is that there's been numerous studies that show that various diet types that are close to what I'm recommending, such as you know the DASH diet, Ornish diet, Mediterranean diet, Esselstyn diet, CHIP diet, we're talking about diets that are all heavily in plants, and have reduction to a certain degree of animal products, some more extreme than others, and how they've been effective at reversing heart disease and causing not just prevention but actual reversal. And also that we have long-term data on people on diets higher in, higher in animal products, and we find that the scammery or the irresponsibleness of telling people about those high animal product diets like high animal product paleo or or Atkins, Ducan, those type of diets have been shown when used long-term, they dramatically increase total mortality and cardiovascular death. And I gave numerous studies in the book that showed that where any study that went 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years on those diet plans show they're dramatically dangerous. And any doctor that doesn't warn against those plans is being either ignorant about that data or irresponsible. And that Anything that causes you to lose weight can cause your blood pressure to maybe, your cholesterol to drop a little bit or your triglycerides to improve. And that's a one-year looking at short-term markers of heart disease or short-term risk factors don't really define a person's a true definition of their risk because a small reduction in cholesterol doesn't tell you, tell you whether the, oxidized, the cholesterol is oxidized or not. And there's other factors involved in heart or cardiovascular risk, particularly inflammation, which determines your risk of death from both heart attacks, strokes, and cancers. And I gave, for example, 
a recent study published in, in British Medical Journal following more than 129,000 individuals, not these studies where they show 50 to 100 individuals, but 129,000 followed for more than 25, more than 20 years. I think the average was close to 25 years. And they stratified every person, they, all these people, onto what percent of animal products they included in the diet as a percent of total calories. So they found that as they went closer to the model, of an Atkins-type ketogenic diet. As they had a diet higher in animal products, lower in carbohydrate, they gave that a score of 20, and they gave everybody a score of 1 to 20, based with the 1 would be a person that's eating a higher carbohydrate, low animal product diet, and, more, and of course, they and all the p- different parameters from 15, 16, set in between. And they found that as people's scores went up, and the percent of animal product went to a larger percent of total calories, they found heart attack rates went up accordingly, and those in the higher range of 15 to 20 had a 60% higher risk of cardiovascular death compared to people in the lower range of 6 to 0 to 6. So the point we're making here that I'm making is that it's not controversial here. It's just people don't haven't read the studies or haven't seen the studies that are available, and that having death is a higher is a stronger endpoint than just looking at an LDL cholesterol, which is not an accurate indicator of risk. And not that we're saying an Atkins type diet is effective at lowering cholesterol. In most cases, the cholesterol is not changed um, that significantly, and then also the people lose a little bit of weight sometimes in the short run, but they go out of them gain it back again. It doesn't result in strong benefits for sustained weight loss. Ninety. Five percent of the patients who lose more than ten percent of their body weight gain it back within three years. So we're talking about there's lots of information being thrown out there, and people are very confused about it. And you also brought up the idea that now fat is good and butter is back and saturated fat is favorable and all the stuff people are hearing is also not supported by the science either, because what it is saying is two, two to three things. Number one, that people did not recognize before, and scientists and doctors did, and certainly how bad high glycemic carbohydrates are. And a lot of people move from a diet with more fat to one that now has more white pasta and bread and sugar in it. And when you do that, your heart attack rates go up, not down, because high glycemic carbohydrates are more dangerous than fat, even from animal products. So, but you don't buy a car by comparing it to a junkyard wreck. It doesn't mean saturated fat is good just because sugar and white flour is even worse. You follow me on that? Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, if we that right, so if we compare, so and we're also finding that so low fat animal products like you know white meat, chicken, or um, or you know or you know meat without the skin, kind of fat off. Those lower fat versions don't protect against heart attacks. Uh, don't are how, how should let me say it again? That eating higher fat versions don't really make it that much worse than lower fat versions. But it's not really the um, that wasn't the main issue. The main issue was that there was too many calories from animal products, not enough calories from vegetables in the diet, and beans and nuts. So it's really, you don't fix your health by just cutting the fat off the chicken or eating less butter. That's so, they, so it's more complex. But people use that data to suggest it's okay to eat fat now, which is not saying that. It's saying it's that if you just can't cut back to lower fat versions of the animal product and expect to get protected because you're still going to increase the amount of vegetables in your diet. We have to eat less animal products, less animal protein, more plant foods, more phytochemicals, more antioxidants, more fibers. It's the whole, we have to take all the factors I'm talking about, what makes a nutritarian diet so protective, and put all those factors on the plate to get this degree of protection we're talking about. We can't simplistically think it's just eating more fat or less fat or more, you know what I'm saying? It's not as simple as just eating um, saturated fat's bad, but 
you know, monounsaturated fats and olive oil is good, and that's this eating, you know. So we had an old, people had an oversimplistic viewpoint of what would work. But it, nor does it mean that those foods are now suddenly got a free reign. You can eat as much as you want of those foods and not bad anymore. That's not really what the data shows. Well, Dr. Furman, we're, we're almost out of time, and I just wanted to have you give some final thoughts for perhaps people who are on the fence about, um, about whether to try this program. Maybe we have some listeners who either have family members with cardiovascular disease or they're already medicated. What would be some parting words for people who are listening to today's program? I'd say the only reason not to do this would be as if you're insane, you know, because any smart, intelligent, normal, logical person is going to want to dramatically reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke and cancer with a plan that can taste delicious. The negative side is people say, oh, I'd rather die younger than enjoy my life more eating what I feel like eating. But even that doesn't hold up to scientific scrutiny because we've tested out scientifically, too, that people enjoy eating this way just as much after a six-month period. So, yes, it's a temporary phase where it takes time to change your taste buds and to learn the recipes and such, but eventually you like this taste-wise as much as your old diet. So I have to say, you know, I want, I'm on a mission to save lives, and I want people to take full advantage and at least learn this information before you think it's not for you, because you'd find out it's more delicious than you thought. Well, it was great having you on Health Watch today, Dr. Furman. Thanks so much. appreciate you and your work, too, and thanks for having me on.